0: Hey, this is Tolly Wilkes of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. We're in this series called Spring Cleaning, and uh, guys, it finally happened in our house, okay? It finally happened a, uh, a few weeks ago. Now, I'm gonna, I'll share some literally dirty laundry here, and and uh, i I don't want to go too far, you know, and and have you think I'm not holy and perfect like I really am. but but here's the deal. It finally happened. It finally happened. And what was it was my wife and I, we looked up and we realized that we've got about 15 baskets of laundry all scattered in our bedroom and, and it's everywhere. And they're falling into piles now. And you're we got Listen, here's the deal. About half of them, check this half of them. It's clean laundry. It's clean. It's just still in the hamper. And so we, we go and I'll go and try to be looking for something. And you know what I do as a loving, kind, gentle husband? I'll go in and look for my sock at the bottom and, and guess what that does to the rest of the pile? All over the place. So we're looking and I'm seeing like, man, babe, like we're good people. Why are we living like this? And she was like, What? I was like, Why are we living? We have all these clues all over the place. What's going on around here? And so the other day, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I looked up and I said, Babe, that's it. That's it. I'm bagging this up. I don't even use half of this stuff. I was like, I don't even know why it's here. I'm like, Look at this. this is from- I was 17 years old. I've got- I literally have a shirt that-, that I wore in a basketball tournament when I was 17 years old, and it's spray painted Lil T. <laughs> Lil T. I got it done in East Point Mall. What? So, uh, (laughs) but I'm looking at my closet, and I've got all these little t-shirts from games and events that I was a part of, and I'm like, why do we have this stuff? I was like, that's it. So I went, and I, I didn't just bring a trash bag. I went and got the box of trash bags, brought it up to my room, and I just spent the next like 45 minutes just stuffing all this stuff. And, and I'll tell you, I ended up with probably, what, six or eight bags just in, in junk I shouldn't be having in my house. You know why? Because I just never let stuff go. It just accumulates over time. I'm not going to wear that shirt anymore. I can't even fit that shirt anymore. <laughs> but there it is. It's in my closet taking up space. A beautiful hanger, by the way, just going to waste, just sitting there for a year. And so, so I, I just decided I'm going to do it. And I said, babe, and this is how I described it. She was like, well, what do you want to keep? I was like, babe, Everything I pull out of my closet, I want it to be great. <laughs> and she's like, "Aye, aye, Captain." <laughs> like she's like, "You're weird." But but so I did all of that, and we had six or eight bags. We were able to go ahead and and uh, and offload to donate and and uh, listen. There's there's lots of stuff. I still probably have two or three. So if you got somebody that that you know wants, wants a a size smaller than me, I mean, you know, then there you go. We can uh, we can work that out and get you some some uh, some nice threads. But what is all that? It's a purging that has to happen. It's a purging. You, you look at your life and you're just like, you're just like, "This stuff doesn't need to be here anymore." And we all can do this if we went to our drawers or went to our closets or, or, or if you're like me, old you know shoes that you just you keep adding shoes. And, and over time you just look and you go, "I don't need any of this." And it's not even that, that I''ve, I've uh, collected like I go to the mall every weekend. It's just over time. Like I'm an old dude now, you know. I'm an old dude, so I got young dude stuff, middle dude stuff, and old dude stuff. And so so now it's just like, hey, I just need to just keep the stuff that I'm going to wear. But this is a purging that has to happen. And you know what? In our lives from time to time, in our spiritual lives on a regular basis, we need to purge. We need to be freed through purging. And so that's what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 51. Just to catch you up, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, these are two psalms of David. David's the dude, He uh, king, uh, Bathsheba. Remember that? Even if you haven't been in church, you probably it was like um, David's looking out over his kingdom, and he's like, woo, howdy. And he looks down. He's like, hey, I want her because he's got everything. But uh, a man with ego always wants more no matter how much he has. And so he looks over. He's like, hey, Bathsheba, you know, and he whistles, and he didn't have to do that. He just sent people after. Her up, and, and there you go. Ultimately, uh, Uriah gets killed off. Like, he takes care of that, and, and now he's feeling terrible, and, and he's found out that he's in sin, and, and he's realizing that, and the weight of it comes down, and Psalm 51 gets written, as well as Psalm 32, and, he, and he's just writing, and he's like, you know what? I need to repent. The beautiful thing about uh, David in the story is he ultimately lost his son as a consequence. And if you read through that, there's this moment where it all switches to where he gets through this repenting process. He gets through losing and the punishment that has to come with it. And then he stands up and he kind of wipes his eyes and he gets back to being the man that God called him to be. And ultimately, his story is not a story that's just like, man, look at how defiled this guy is. His story is defined by being a man after God's own heart. But there's this season where a purging has to take place. And in every man's life and in every woman's life, this spiritual purging must take place. And I got news for you. As you grow in your faith, that purging needs to happen more frequently, more often, and you got to dump more stuff because you realize that's stuff that's not from God. That's stuff that you've added to your own list. And so today, here we go. Psalm 51. I'm going to read starting in verse 7 down to 12 today, the middle part of the section. And uh, if you weren't here two weeks ago, Go back and it'll all um, tie together and make a lot of sense for you. But here's what it says. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. If you remember the first six verses of this psalm, he actually just, he admits to the fact that he's in in sin and he doesn't try to hide. And I talked to you about the fact that we all want people who have done us wrong to talk the way that David talks in Psalm 51. It's a true, beautiful model of what it means to have genuine repentance. And so he comes and he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice, hide your face from my sins and blot out All my iniquities. Create in me. This is a verse that gets pulled out and slapped on coffee cups and and T-shirts all around Christian bookstores. But it's in the middle of all this other great stuff. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Church, can I tell you something? True cleansing does not come easy. True cleansing does not come easy. How many of you have ever done what I did and you've gone through and you cleaned out your, your, your closet or you cleaned out a room? How many of you done that? Maybe some old boxes. You've done that, right? Do you know what happens all the time when people go through and do this? Do you ever try to do this like with your whole family? like, hey, guys, we're going to go through these boxes together. What ultimately always happens? You get in like five minutes. Oh, look at this picture. <laughs> I remember that day. It was a beautiful day. It was, it was about 72 and a half degrees. No, no, maybe 73. Like, and then you just sit there for 10 minutes because you can't let anything go because everything, all of a sudden, what nobody even thought about five minutes before. Now, everything has meaning, Right. Everything has value, and so it's difficult to let go because now all of a sudden the memories come in, and they fill our hearts, and they flutter, and we're like, man, this was so great. It's a great day. That's why I need to save this handkerchief. <laughs> like, no, bro, it says, like, McDonald's on it. Like, you blew your nose at McDonald's, and it landed in this box. Why, what are you saving this for? Like, like, what's going on? But we all of a sudden add value, and we attribute value to things that we don't need at the moment we know we need to let them go. All of a sudden, we blow up the value. And so it's hard. You know why there's a word for this? It's called inertia. It's called inertia. Inertia is a powerful force. You need to understand that. In, in life, in, in, uh, in science, but in your soul, inertia is a powerful force. It's Newton's first law of motion. It's stated like this, an object at rest stays at rest. And an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and in the same direction unless acted upon. Look at this, unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. When I was young, I heard that expressed as an equal or opposite force. That whatever force you use for inertia, if something is staying still, it will stay still until another force from outside of itself Moves it. If something is in motion, it will stay in motion unless there's an equal and opposite force to slow and eventually stop it. But you know, your spiritual life is the same way. If you don't do anything different, you're going to have the same exact results you've always had. Your relationships, inertia is a powerful thing. If it's okay to continue to be lazy and mistreat people around you, you're going to keep doing that. And unfortunately, for us, one of the, the things that God has given us is this beautiful thing called pain. Pain is a great motivator, isn't it? You ever, you ever touch a stove when it's hot? <laughs> beautiful motivator. Just, just move quick. But inertia, inertia is a powerful force by itself. And many of us, the reason that our lives aren't changing is because we are perfectly content to continue to do what we've been doing. And so we'll just move right along at the same speed, the same pace, the same thing, Everything's going on. Or we'll just sit like a bump on a log forever. And then we go to God and we say, God, why isn't my life feeling better? Why isn't this Christian thing working out? Why isn't my faith making me excited about life? And God's looking and he's like, hey, until you realize that there has to be an equal and opposite force. And Earth is defined in the dictionary as a tendency to do nothing. Actually, there's two, but the one I want to look at today, a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. Can everybody say unchanged? Unchanged. That's the worst place you can stay. God gave you an amazing life. He gave you great opportunities. He gave you the wild blue yonder. <laughs> he gave you amazing people that are different all around you. What a shame to live this life and just remain unchanged or to get to a place to where you think you've arrived and you think you know it all and then you just remain unchanged. What a a sad journey to go on. Who wants to just sit still until they're gone? That's terrible. The gift that God gave you is the ability to change. Human beings have uh, such an ability in them designed by God. The law of inertia, if you need to understand Psalm 51, you need to understand something, the law of inertia is at work within us. That law is at work within your soul. In a spiritual sense, you will stay put and you will be who you've been unless something bigger comes along to enact it. Psalm 51, I believe, tells us, gives us an indication of what that something bigger needs to be for your spiritual life to change. Look what it says in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. If you're jotting notes, write this down. Repentance is the power that pushes us to revival. Repentance is the power that pushes us to revival. You will stay right where you are in your sin, unless acted upon by a greater force than you living in your sin, unless acted upon by something that will move you. And you know what moves the Christian? Repentance. Oh dear God, I'm not who you designed me to be. God, the way that I'm treating people is not what you wanted me to do. And God, I need a force outside of myself to move me from here. So the psalmist, in the middle of his understanding his sin, the psalmist says this, he says, purge me, purge me, purge me with hyssop. This indication is in many places, but in three, I'll give you three. One, hyssop was used in the sprinkling of the blood. Remember remember when, when uh, the, the Israelites were in Egypt and they had to put the blood above the door? You guys remember that? Yeah, hyssop was in that potion, in that mixture there. It was, it was because the destroying angel would pass over all of the homes wherever that blood was spread. In the case of cleansing lepers, they were, they were told in Leviticus, if you're going to cleanse a leper, once the leper has become clean, you're going to make the, the leper whole again and bring them back into the community because lepers you weren't allowed to be in a community. You were cut off. You were an outcast. You were by yourself. You were all alone. You were left to die unless you got well again. But in the case of cleaning the le- cleansing the lepers, they needed the hyssop in, mixed in. The purification of one that was unclean um, by the touch of a dead body. If you you touched a dead body, you were treated the same way. And so the purification laws required hyssop to be in there. And so, what is this saying? The saying is that the, the, the psalmist is understanding in the moment in his sin. The psalmist is saying, you know what? I need to be cleansed from outside of myself. Do you know one of the greatest selling sections? of any bookstore is self-help. Self-help. Because everybody, for generations, have been looking at their lives and they're finding that they're not satisfied. and So they go and they're like, I need a guru. I need, I need somebody to tell me how to get myself out of this mess. And my friends... You can dance around the edges of your soul with a lot of self-help. What we need is soul help, and that comes through repentance. And that comes when you, like David, and me, like David, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I am worthy in my condition of being separated from you, no different than if I didn't have the blood over the door. I am worthy because of my sin, not blaming anyone else, because of my situation. I feel like an outcast. I feel like a leper who's cut off from you. He says later, like, I I need to feel your joy again. I need your presence again. He's saying all this to just say, this is where I feel when I know I'm far from you, God. And he's saying, you know what? I feel like I've, I've touched a dead thing. I don't have life. And in all of this, he says, purge me with hyssop. Identify with me. Bring me life, God. That's what I want. I want life. I want your presence. I want to know you. I want to have joy. That's what I want in my life. But I'm not going to go to the self-help section anymore. I'm not going to tinker around the edges. I'm going to repent. And in that repentance... He says the expression, cleanse me with hyssop. I um got good news for some of you, especially some of you ladies that are in that um, pyramid scheme. I mean uh essential oils. There's an essential oil called hyssop. So get on it. So <laughs> verse nine. <laughs> Watch it all all around next week. I'm gonna be getting emails. Pastor, what'd you do? You know, she done went and got hyssop. She just started dumping hyssop on my head <laughs> I'm sleeping. <laughs> the, the, don't be bringing no hyssop home, babe. So hide your face, it says, from my sin, verse 9. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all of my iniquities. Earlier in the verses, he says that you blot out the iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you're notes, write this down. Repentance reminds us that our Father is eager to renew. Repentance reminds us that our father is eager to renew the relationship that we had. He's eager. The reality is Isaiah 43, 25, look at it. It says this, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. Why does he do that? What does it say? For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Or I will remember your sins no more, another version puts it. What does repentance teach us? It teaches us that God is more than happy to come close to us. God is eager. God is ready to forgive. He wants to forget it just as much as you do. I, with my children in this way, I'm a pushover sometimes, and I just desperately want my children to know that I love them. Recently, my son had gotten behind in, in some classwork, and he, he was sick for, for a week, and he came to Christy and I, and he says, hey, my, my friends are playing basketball. Could I go down to the park and play basketball? And I said, what kind of a dad would I be if knowing that you have the weight of all of this schoolwork, if I just said, hey, go ahead and play basketball? I said, this basketball game won't be remembered for like a week, but your teacher's going to remember that you owe her some assignments. I said, so, and I told my son this. I said, son, it is because I love you that I need you to do what's right first. Then you can go do what's fun. And you see, God is the same way with his kids. At the end, when, when he was done his work, I was rejoicing. I'm glad to be able to sit there and goof off and let him play and let him run and go, go play ball. Why? Because I just, I just want him to be close. I, just, I don't want to talk about the work. I don't want to talk about the discipline. I don't want to talk about where, where I'm not happy with him. I, I want him to get back in the full grace of everything and just keep moving forward. But there has to be a season where I say, son, you've got to acknowledge what you're doing right here is not right. And that's how your daddy in heaven is. Your daddy in heaven is looking at you just saying, "Tolly, acknowledge that what you're doing is not right. I can't wait to forgive. I can't wait to forget this never happened. I can't wait to blot out your transgressions, as the Bible says. But first, you got to acknowledge it. Inertia settled in and you've got to repent. You got to get over this moment. Repentance means a clean heart and a fresh start. Repentance means a clean heart and a fresh start. He is eagerly, I want you to understand this about your daddy in heaven. He is eagerly, eagerly, eagerly awaiting you to repent. Eagerly, why? Because he's arrogant and he wants to, no, no, no. It's because he's loving and he's ready to forget this as fast as possible. But because he's also just, he needs you to say it. He needs you to acknowledge it. Why? He doesn't want you to keep hurting yourself. He doesn't want you to stay in inertia. He doesn't want you to stay stagnant. He wants you to move and grow and have joy in him. But in order to get there, you've got to see that where you are is not where you want to be. So agree with God. Agree with God and say, God, I I messed up. And I know you're a good God and a good daddy who's ready to forgive. And so I can't wait to come to you in repentance. Cast me not away, it says. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here, Jotty notes. What sin robs, repentance restores. What sin robs, repentance restores. Look what he says. Cast me not away from your presence. God, I I don't want to feel all alone in this world. You don't have to raise your hand, but I got news for you. I know that when you're in the middle of your sin, you do not feel close with God. I just know it. I've talked to too many people over too many years where they come and they meet and they're just like describing the weight of the sin that they're in, and they do not feel close to God at all. Nobody's ever come and say, you know what, Pastor? Um, I'm in deep, deep sin, but God and I are awesome. God and I are doing great. Nobody's ever done that. Why? Because sin robs you of feeling God's presence. Sin robs you of that. Why? Because you know he's perfect and pure and righteous and holy. And so he says, cast me not away from presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. In that, one of the indications that, that God, you can look throughout Scripture or other places, but when God chooses to, to let a person's heart harden, it's a tragedy. Because essentially, he, he, it starts out early on when you're, when you're walking with the Lord and you're, you're celebrating and you, you, everything's going good. You can just hear. You can just almost feel the manifest presence of God everywhere you are. But then as sin enters the picture, suddenly you just start to hear him less and less. And it, it, the voice you start to hear turns into conviction. And then you're just like, oh, I don't know if I want to uh, hear that conviction stuff. But then if you ignore that conviction voice long enough, start, you start to feel like, wow, my behavior is really good. My behavior is pretty awesome, actually, even though I'm in the middle of sin. Why? Because I don't hear that conviction anymore. It must mean I'm right. No. It could be that God is saying, okay, Tolly. you think this path's better. I've been trying to warn you. But I'll leave you alone. We'll let you see how you fare. That's the most tragic situation. And the psalmist is like, Please don't let the Holy Spirit go for me. Please don't let the voice of God go for me. Please don't depart from me. Please stay close. What sin robs, repentance restores. In our sin, we feel distant, but in repentance, we sense Him close. In our sin, we feel like all hope is lost, but in repentance, we're reminded that hope has come. In our sin, we lose our joy, but in repentance, were upheld by his love. And I love this word, willingly, willingly. You see, the scripture says, restore to me the joy. Everybody say joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say restore to me my salvation. It doesn't say, oh God, I messed up, so now I'm booted out of the kingdom, and can I get in? God doesn't have a revolving door on heaven. It's not like you're sitting there on edge, and you're just like, okay, today I'm good with God. Oh, today I'm not. Oh, today I'm good with God. Oh, today I'm not. Today I'm good with God. No, that's not how it works. But you can be in Christ and lose all joy. That's how it can work or you cannot be in Christ at all, and you could think you're having fun, but you've never experienced the joy that is in Jesus. But so here the psalmist is, David, and he's like, you know, restore to me the joy that used to be here with my salvation. Restore to me the joy that I used to feel. Restore to me the happiness that came with this faith thing. Why in the world am I feeling this way? Why in the world do I feel that? Restore to me that joy. All of that gets restored through Repentance. And I love what it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with what? A willing spirit. Can you say willing? A willing spirit. Your father in heaven longs for you to repent and longs for you to come to him. Why? So that he can begrudgingly accept you back. Do you ever have somebody begrudgingly accept you back? You ever have that? If you have a sibling, this has happened to you. I do it to my kids all the time. It's like, hey, apologize to your brother. I'm sorry. No, apologize to brother. I said I'm sorry. Begrudging acceptance. Do you know what the scripture says? The scripture says the Lord stands. And he looks off and he says, Tolly, just repent. Because I am willing to uphold you. It says, Restore to me the joy of that salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Can you imagine that picture just for a moment? Your daddy in heaven. Your daddy in heaven is standing there and saying, son, daughter, please just come home. I know your legs feel weak. I know you feel alone. I know you feel put out in the cold. I know you don't feel close to me right now. And I know you feel that it's because of the sin you've been in or how long you've been doing it or what you've done and what you did when you were on a journey. But just like that prodigal son story, church, you have your father in heaven who is standing at the door, running through the yard to go find you and grab you. And the scripture says to uphold you willingly. I texted my son this morning and I said, son, because of this, I said, son, I always want you to feel good calling daddy, especially when you make a mistake, because that's the love of the father. That me and my inertia and me and my sin and me and my disobedience, when I know that my father is not just waiting to punish me. When we first got married, I had heard this preacher say this thing, and I'm like, man, babe, we're going to do that. And so before we even got married, I told Christy, I said, never in our house, please, never in our house say, just wait till your father gets home. You know why? Because I don't want my kids to see me as just the incredible hulk that's out to punish. I want my kids to see me as the loving dad who willingly lifts them up. And that's the picture of the psalmist. The psalmist is saying, Dad, I know that you'll willingly hold me in your hands. So I'm repenting. Last one for today. It's a joy for Jesus that you find joy in him. It is a joy for Jesus that you would find joy in him. So church, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you've done. But I can tell you, inertia is going to settle in unless there's an equal and opposite force pushing the other direction. And in the spiritual sense, that's called repentance. You will settle in your sin. You will live with that sin. You will continue to repeat that sin for the rest of your life unless you open your heart up to repentance. But I want you to know what's on the other side of that repentance door is a willing, loving, joyful father who wants to lift you up and dust you off. And when you go to explain yourself and tell him all the reasons, he's just going to put his hand over your mouth, his little finger, and just says, You're my child. Just enjoy the moment. But in the meantime, you not knowing that, you're outside of the house and you're continuing to live in your sin and you're thinking that you're finding some kind of manifestation of joy, but you know in your heart it's not there. And so true repentance brings you back in to the family of God. And your daddy in heaven says, come. Jesus says, I want you to find your joy in me. You think you're getting joy through that, but that's leading you to a faraway place away from me. I want you to find joy in me. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, the Scripture is pretty clear. Religion is not about a bunch of church things. It's not about showing up on Sunday, putting money in the offering. Standing, sitting, kneeling, none of that matters. What matters is that you would agree with God the Father about who Jesus is. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. He's the one that got up on Calvary's cross and he died a voluntary, atoning death. Meaning he he was the propitiation for your sins. Big word simply means he made the payment for you. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid with his life so that you could have a new life, not the one that's drowning in sin. And if you've never before acknowledged Christ as your Savior, all it is is you saying, God, you're God and I'm not. And the way you demonstrated being God is when Jesus got up on the cross, he swapped places. No longer was I dead in my sin, but now through Christ I can be made alive. And so Jesus is Lord. And if you're in this room today and you say, you know what? I just, I'm here with a friend or I, got, I just had this feeling inside that I need to go to church. Listen, God may have you here today to say, come home. Admit that you're a sinner, just like everybody around you and everybody in the theater and everybody in Baltimore. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe something about that sin. Are you dead in your sin forever or is there hope? That hope's name is Jesus. So believe that Christ died on the cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago to save you from that sin, set you free, let you live a joyful life meaning and purpose and value, and then confess something. Confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. You're my boss, you're my CEO, you're my forgiver, my healer, you're the, you're the one. And so for the rest of my life, the best that I know how, I'm going to follow Jesus. And it's with that confession that a person becomes a Christian. I admit that I'm a sinner, I believe Christ died to pay the penalty for my sin, and so I trust in Jesus as my salvation. It's called repentance. And once you've done that, the scripture says that if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And once you've done that and you're a Christian, guess what you get to do for the rest of your life? Repent. Again and again and again and again. You repent. And you know when Christians become bad Christians? It's when they quit repenting. That's when Christians, if you've ever met a Christian, somebody said they were a Christian, they were arrogant and rude and and vile, guess what? They quit repenting a long time ago. They all of a sudden don't think they need Jesus. But as we sang earlier, and as we understand through Scripture, you need Him every single day. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray for us, but as I do, I want you right in your seat. I want you right in your seat. Remember, repentance is a clean heart, And a fresh start. And so there might be some sin you brought into the room this morning. There might be some stuff that you've kept secret. There might be a relational challenge you know you're at fault for. Whatever it might be that you brought in this room today, I want to give you the gift of repentance. I don't want you to see repentance as a scary thing that you got to run from, but actually a beautiful thing you get to run to. So before you go out there and the world smacks you upside the head, which it will, probably by lunchtime, before you do that, have the gift of repentance. Go to Jesus and say, Jesus, this morning you brought to me my, to mind this sin I have in my heart. You brought to me this, this pet sin I've been carrying around. You brought to me my attitude. Or maybe, maybe you might even say, Jesus, I've never before trust you for salvation, but today I'm going to. Would you please save me? Give me a new life.